Um. Hello, everybody. My name is uh, Joshua Viho, and this is episode four of Bottom Fidelity. Um, yeah, and if you could, if you can't tell, uh, the theme song is a little different this time. Well, this song that you're hearing, the intro to whatever, is my is my track, uh, a new no clean track coming out tomorrow on the 25th of February. Well, it's tomorrow, the day I'm recording it, but. It is coming out the 25th. I hope you like it. I'm going to kind of do little previews of my tracks in the podcast like this as like intro. So this is a little preview. I won't talk through the whole entire goddamn thing. Jam. It's a good one. Good little funky beat. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was going for, I don't know, I guess kind of like a tech housey, you know, kind of like a low downish kind of beat thing. Um, and, you know, kind of putting in a whole bunch, you know, like putting in that, that white noise, like, like cannon explosion noise, you know, just kind of doing that kind of, I guess, Fisher kind of style shit, but not exactly, you know, not, not anything like his, you know any of his tracks, just kind of my own vibe with it, you know. So yeah, that is my new song, Moot. It's M-O-O-T. It's coming out tomorrow. Um, I'm only going to give you this little, this little preview of it, because, you know, I don't want to, you know, spoil the whole thing. Well, not, I don't really care, but we're just, we're just doing a little preview. You know, it's an intro, okay, you know, we're not going crazy or anything, but. Yeah, that's my new track. I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to get on a, a like a month to month schedule with my music. So most of the time, probably gonna be releasing towards the end of the month. Um, just depends. Uh, and uh, what I'm also doing this year that I'm doing differently is I'm still gonna release singles, but I'm trying to uh, kind of I'm doing. I guess like almost like a little bit more than a single uh, with a couple of them. You could almost consider them EPs, but they're not quite as big. Basically what I'm doing with every single single I'm releasing is I'm releasing a like intro track. That's kind of like an ambient like intro into the song. Sometimes it has direct like influences, like literally direct sounds and noises from the song. And sometimes it doesn't. Um, Sometimes it's just whatever. Um, and kind of theming it with that. Uh, that's kind of been my whole entire thought process with it. And it's also kind of, uh, cause for a second there, I kind of got stuck in kind of like a musical rut a little bit. And, uh, a way that I kind of got out of it was I started making like ambient music. I started making like weird, non-structured music, you know, something, you know, we didn't have a chorus, we don't have bridges. We, and, you know, it's not a, you know, it's not, you know, eight measures. It's not 16, you know, it's 16 bar, you know, the whole, all of the, slicing and dicing that we do of music composition it was just kind of like this i guess you could say experiment but more just kind of like i don't know just kind of it it just really helped me kind of like get past like a kind of writer's block that i had been in for this last little bit um and so i started making ambient tracks and i made this really long one that i've been kind of cutting up into a whole bunch of small pieces and so those are going to kind of appear on throughout the year on the singles um, as kind of like little intros, you know, I've always been a big fan of that kind of stuff. You know, I was a big fan of like, you know, a progressive rock bands and stuff, you know, like King Crimson and Tool and stuff like that. St- things, you know, pieces of music albums that have like long intros drawn out, you know, kind of setting scenes and stuff like that. I love a lot of that stuff. Uh, as long as it doesn't get kind of, uh, too, uh, what do you call it? Not, I wouldn't say like overdone, but kind of it's too self-indulgent, which we'll talk about self-indulgence later uh, with Kanye, just because, you know, I love 
well, have been still kind of am, I guess, a fan of Kanye, but whatever. We'll, we'll get to that. We have some stuff that we are probably going to jump into, all kinds of stuff. A lot of music stuff this week, surprisingly, um, that kind of just came out of the woodwork, uh, you know, so that's always interesting. You're just like, oh, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't expecting a couple of them and a couple of them, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, we'll get there when we get there. But, uh, there's just a couple, I just want, I don't know. I don't know. Has anybody been able to get a GPU? I mean, I know a lot of people have been able to get a GPU. It seems like the prices are coming down. I don't know. Um, what's exactly happening there. I mean, it seems like it's cooling off. I was hearing rumors about stuff cooling off in like, November, December, sometime around then I was hearing rumors about stuff kind of cooling off uh, because what was happening is, you know, you just had these crazy list prices for some of these GPUs and you kind of got past all of the people that would have been, you know, people that needed it for work or, you know, now you literally just got to the enthusiast market or at least people that are left probably in those kind of realms where they could wait or they don't care as much. Um, and I think they just stopped by. I was hearing like rumors about micro centers and some of the bigger stores not like having stock, especially of the AMD cards, but you know, having stock of even Nvidia cards, some of the lower tier ones, just chilling. And even Best Buy's having stock, just chilling on shelves, just like whatever, who, you know, who cares? And so, well, actually, and the even bigger stuff like the 3090s, those are the first ones I was hearing about some of the ridiculous uh, AIB versions of those cards that, uh, we're just chilling, you know, just because they were got so expensive. <laughs> and so it seems like all the prices are coming down, though. Everything's still kind of like crazy out of whack. Uh, you know, it seems like the common sentiment is that stuff is coming down, but we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. Um, you know, everybody's been talking about Ethereum and, you know, going proof of stake and that might help. And, you know, even though a lot of people talk crap about, oh, it is not just a um, Bitcoin or uh cryptocurrency problem causing all of the supply stuff it's a lot of different things but then you know when you look and prices kind of adjust according to bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies prices you start to think well i mean there is a little bit of a relation there is definitely impact on the market enough to sway prices this much which is you know saying something so i don't think it's something I think kind of coming to those conclusions is just not even taking into consideration all of the elements, but it's also not taking into consideration how big of an element cryptocurrency is in that situation and to see if it'll get better, you know, because a lot of people, I mean, I'm not a big cryptocurrency guy uh, and I might, we might do an episode at some point, we'll see, but I don't know. I'm not a big crypto cryptocurrency person. I don't have any crypto um, I don't know necessarily. I, the technology seems interesting, uh, but like it also seems rife for like scam and manipulation and like it, it seems rife for the same exact thing that fiat is rife with and so to me it being touted as this alternative doesn't quite stick its landing in in ways it does i've heard a lot of interesting things about like you know using nfts to counter like ticket scalping for like concerts okay like you know like you know get the technology working and let's see if it can actually be implemented sure but it's it's an interesting idea you know okay blockchain everybody's ticket i'm imagining there's going to be some way to get around that or some way that you know scalpers and whoever's going to figure that out but you know so stuff like that seems interesting um the coins everything else it just kind of you know seems it just who knows but anyways you know uh so i don't even i don't even remember what i was oh gpus so I was like, what was I talking about just a second ago? It's like, oh, it's like, you know, you start smoking pot again, it's just all out the window. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, you know, we'll see what happens with GPUs. I still haven't gotten a new GPU. I built my computer, you know, last year, January 2021, you know, and I've just been cruising with my old GPU which is fine. Well, I guess it's not my old GPU. It's a friend's old GPU that he let me borrow. So I've been cruising with that GPU for a while uh, and it's been holding up. It's good. You know, it's, I, there's things that I want to do with my monitors, with games, with stuff like that. That's going to require something that's going to be a little bit more intense, but you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. So, you know, okay. I was like, is that one changing? I was, I didn't know. <laughs> I was like, I thought I set both of them to do it. Uh, yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. 
you know, I'm kind of optimistic, but we'll see what happens with the 400 or the 40 series. It seems like those are going to be fucking energy hogs and I don't want to buy another uh, power supply personally. I like my power supply, but whatever. And then I was hearing weird stuff about like Apple doing a full foldable, like 20 inch screen laptop thing. Um, that's, you know, like the whole entire thing end to end is like a screen theoretically, I guess, to have two tablets and something else to do. It seemed like a very weird development, like, or whatever mock-up. I don't know if it was a real product or anything. It seemed like a mock-up, but it was a weird, it was a weird thing. I kind of, it, people brought up the old, uh, like Apple makes a foldable laptop and it's like a gigantic, like, it's like a gigantic, uh, iPod touch. I remember that with like the big wheel and that was the keyboard, <laughs> but then they fucking did the touch bar, which again, I never used, I was never a big Apple person, but, uh, it seemed like a lot of people hated that. I saw somebody play doom on it <laughs> one time. So that's interesting, I guess. But beyond that, like, yeah, it seemed like a lot of people hated it. Uh, though I had some personal anecdotal, uh, like friends, that said they liked it. They don't mind the touch bar. And I could see functionality, like programming buttons and stuff onto a keyboard like that would be interesting. But, you know, having a full touch screen, what I imagine it would be for people that would be doing the same thing they'd be doing on tablets or the, you know, foldable, foldable two-in-one, you know, ThinkPad yoga style, whatever. Uh, this people that would be doing like a lot of artwork style editing stuff that they need, like a touchscreen pen kind of stuff or photo editing. Cause I've heard that that's used with photo editing a lot too. Um, why you would need it to fold or be like clamshell with two ends. I don't know. Um, I don't know about the folding screen technology. It seems like interesting kind of, and these companies keep trying to make it work. But like, ultimately, I don't really think it's going to be interesting except for like cool installations. Like you could put like, you know, something you have like a corner or, you know, like a corner, you know, over there. Right. And instead of having it be like a, you know, boom, like a corner, 90 degree angle, you could have like some kind of like bent screen that you could edit visuals onto it to do whatever, you know, hell, I don't know, something like that. But yeah, because I don't know. And I never looked into it when it came to screens. Um scratching themselves but i remember when i first got the first 3ds that that screen scratched itself when the previous nintendo stuff didn't and that was kind of an annoying situation because it the screen just scratched itself you couldn't help it unless you put like you know cloth in between the screen which you're like then this is it's the same thing that happens with like a lot of the bigger smartphones when they're like oh we're gonna sell this little doohickey attached to the back and you're like oh, okay so you're trying to make up for like basically a design flaw of this thing that it is not easy to wield and so you have to add this stupid little plunger thing on the back of it to even hold it correctly um and so i haven't looked into that happening with any of the samsung foldables or any of that stuff but i imagine it would where you just get like dirt in there and the phone would rub or something would rub and you would just get like a line down the middle of your screen somewhere now maybe they've accounted for that i have no idea but it just seems like they keep trying to do this foldable technology stuff everywhere and you know i don't know it, we'll see if it i mean i it, it being a part of like clothing seems kind of interesting i don't know if that was the same technology they used on that one car that could change its paint job from white to black which was interesting that was at like i think ces this year or something i saw it recently um but you know i don't know it's uh it's an interesting thing to say the least uh you know i don't know some of that stuff kind of boggles my mind in, in not boggles my mind as in like, I don't understand it. It boggles my mind as in like, it's a, and I guess you always need proof of concepts and stuff always pushing the boundaries, but sometimes you're like, what was the idea? Like you, it was an interesting idea, but where did you think this was going to like, who did, who did you think was going to buy this? How did, does this even make sense? But I mean, I guess people bought pet rocks, right? So I, I guess nothing really makes sense ultimately. So, um, yeah, I don't know if any of you have seen the uh, documentary. It came out earlier, what? Oh, yeah, earlier this month. Uh, the Tinder Swindler. Uh, interesting documentary, right? Watch this with my girlfriend. She, I guess, of course, had happened upon it through TikTok or something like that. And 
suggested that we watch it and i was like oh, okay so and then as we were watching okay like where's the swindle where's the swindle this guy's just you know dating people you know flying around blah 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 blah, blah. and then you know and watch the documentary for yourself but of course swindles these women out of money and stuff like that through a whole a uh, bunch of different scenarios and kind of builds this web of lies and almost in a way kind of runs it like a business almost it's well at least that's how the doc is presenting it right so you know watching this i was watching this and like halfway through me and my girlfriend watching i start looking it up right and i look up and like i think uh there's like the cosmopolitan story but there's a couple other stories it might have been a CNN one I'm seeing here as I Googled it. Uh, but there was a couple stories I saw popping up when we were watching it uh, about the guy, uh, Simon or whatever, Simon Lviv, which is supposedly not even his name or whatever, or it is or it isn't or whatever. Uh, he claims that the doc is not real or something about it. Now, I don't know if this is what I, you know, again, this is me just purely trying to remember and conjecture so i don't know but i think he was saying something about like oh you know netflix was lying on his name or something like that and it brings up an interesting point about a lot of these weird internet scenarios and it almost brings up an interesting point about a company doing it though i imagine this has probably happened before through a company but it's it, it for some reason it reminded me of like when uh the boston bombing happened and reddit kind of freaked out about it and they were trying to do like online investigative journalism stuff um and people were trying to figure out like okay oh you know and then they had got i don't know how i don't remember i remember being on reddit when this was all kind of going down but they basically had a picture of somebody that started circulating that wasn't the guy but the internet thought it was a guy and so it made it become this like powerful situation that almost like and i don't remember if it like completely screwed up that guy's life but it was like a you know you accused the wrong person because you guys think your internet sleuths or whatever and uh i wonder if like the tinder swindler like documentary is like a corporate like netflix version of this where they are like spinning a web slightly of a story that might not be exactly as it was told on this documentary you know you have these three women like there was inconsistencies i remember i was reading a reddit uh thread when people were talking about some of the odd things that happened with some of the situations like for instance even though that guy sent her the money slip well okay so this is what we're gonna do this is what we're gonna do this is what we're gonna do i guess i i'm not gonna use this as a opportunity to go on a rant about um oh and there's my cooler that's probably gonna pick that up in the back oh well or my heater um i'm not gonna go on a rant about uh hating spoilers <laughs> but i hate people that hate spoilers because i personally think that a good story is good all the way through and if you get told the ending or told an important part the journey is still important if the journey sucks who cares about the ending and if the ending is the only thing that that piece of content is living on in my opinion it's not good it's not nearly as good as like all these other things out there that you know i've never like again in my opinion i've never really been i've been spoiled on things but it's never ruined the experience when i have you know eventually watched the thing or whatever but i guess out of respect and i again diatribe where i'm just going to say spoiler warning for tinder swindler if you haven't seen it um he uses going back to the for, like is this a real thing or is this not a real thing like the whole documentary is it real or is it kind of spun up or maybe part of it is real part of it isn't real whatever um in a part of the documentary he he basically the front that he puts up for towards a lot of these girls is that he is the son of a person and i guess partially runs or is involved in some way with his father's like diamond business um and uh that's why he has all this ridiculous money and is able to do stuff but then he basically gets in trouble because he's a part of this diamond business and blah 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 blah, blah and you know he's having people you know go after him so he needs these girls to help him by giving him money and that's basically the scam right um well he sends these girls basically has well one of the things that he did with one of the girls is he would send uh like a pay slip like tell them that oh you're gonna be i'm gonna hire you to work for me at this company i'm gonna send you like a check with this much money and then you're gonna 
give it to this bank saying that, oh, this is how much money that you make to get them to pull out a line of credit. From what I remember, I think is what was happening. And a lot of people called bull bull on that mainly because would an institution just like, oh, we're just going to like let this stuff slide. Now it was a back and forth com like conversation on Reddit, it seemed like between people that had worked in banks and worked for some big banks and said that, yeah, you know, there's a mitigation for this kind of stuff, of course, but ultimately, like the bank would rather like take a hit or like, you know, do something else than try to like, you know, track down or, you know, slow down the process of people transferring money. They want people to transfer the money as quickly as possible. So to go through a whole entire background check on every single person that transfers money in your institution is, I guess, in some sense, not feasible. So that was the thing that some people were saying. So that was one of the inconsistencies, just how much money these girls could get in debt from these institutions before. And in the movie, seemingly them just being able to continuously like pull out credit, pull out loans, like continuously do this. That was the thing that was called into question mainly as like kind of a weird thing. Another thing that people brought up was his, uh, the footage of him being arrested, though uh, people say this is footage of him being arrested. To me, it seemed like footage of him being taken to like a courtroom or something or being taken somewhere, not necessarily the point the time that he was being arrested. But the claim is that this footage is kind of too cleaned up, kind of too, it's filmed as if it was media filming it, but it's too like high quality. Like it almost seems staged as the idea. So either that this whole entire thing is fake and this guy's putting on that Netflix is even coming after him, that this is just all to build kind of hype around the thing or that they're going after this innocent man or going after a guy that's maybe not innocent, but maybe not completely, uh, you know, the guy that he's, he's maybe not the, the one like orchestrating it completely or who knows something like that. Right. Um, I don't know. These are the theories that are bouncing around about this. I thought it was a good documentary. It was interesting. Um, though again, of part of me, initially was like there's i there's nobody i love that much even you know the girlfriend that i'm with now that i would take out that much money for before i'd be like wait a minute like just chill your bill you know slow your roll like we can't you know <clears throat> excuse me i can't in good faith take this amount of money out and not like you know it's just it's kind of ridiculous uh and yeah, I don't know. Um, that was the part that kind of really got me. That really, I was kind of like, huh. Um, it just, it just, that part with that particular girl didn't seem realistic a little bit just because of the sheer, like, like, the amount of money. It's just, it's a crazy situation. I don't know. You know, I don't know. I mean, the whole entire, like, documentary is spinning it like, oh, well, what do you do? You know, what would you do for love kind of thing? And I get that. I get that. I really do kind of understand where that's coming from. But it's, man, that's a lot of money for love. I don't know, man. And then just, yeah, it's just the whole entire deal of it. But that was a good, that was a good one. Um, basically, what I also wanted to, well, we, we, I mean, we had a crazy, like, music week. A lot of weird music stuff that I wanted to. Oh, and I guess not weird. But uh, one, the Daft Punk anniversary homework anniversary coming up them re-releasing it on vinyl i guess i haven't looked into the specifics of what that is if they're just like remastering it if it's literally a re-release or whatever uh but then the fucking crazy stream uh that they did and i didn't know about this until like way after the fact and so i was like fuck so i scoured the internet and found a you know somebody hosting it somewhere and watched the thing uh the it was at the the mayan theater or whatever really interesting show really interesting show not what i expected at all not even just well it's not what i expected at all but also exactly like it's kind of funny how much their style is similar when you compare it to like things like alive not the alive 1997 the alive 2007 um and so because it's very it feels very daft punk it feels very you know, uh, you know, we're combining these songs, but it's off the cuff, like mix mixing and or mix matching kind of thing. Like, uh, like, a, like, a, my brain is not coming 
together with it. Kind of like uh, at the end of an album when they do like a, a master, a master mix, not a master mix, but like a mega mix. That's what I was trying to come up with. Mega mix. It's like a mega mix of their songs. It's like a whole bunch of random shit all together and like cra crazy like combos and stuff like that. And, but it was also like, especially this, well, the one that they just streamed, uh, was very raw. Uh, and I didn't know initially I was like, wow. So this was when their first album came out, but they had been DJing for a while. But then when I looked it up and it's like, oh, this tour, they were literally like, like going around the place with their gear that they had in the studio, just like playing stuff. And they had these layers built up of like, oh, they could loop this stuff and play this stuff in and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, wow. Okay. So I could understand that getting a little kind of intense while you're trying to do it like live, but they, they got into a groove eventually. Like the beginning was a little rough, uh, and then they got into a crazy groove and then that little, that middle to almost the end chunk of it was just like, great. The encore was good. Wasn't my favorite encore of any like artist I've seen, but it was good. And then there's the show and the graphics and, and, you know, just seeing the people, you know, honestly of that time period, because it's not like normally you're like, oh man, it's such a time capsule. But when you look at like a lot of the outfits that people wore, it's, this stuff really hasn't changed that much, even though it's been several decades, uh, and so it's just very interesting. And it's also very interesting. The fact that they did have their whole studio, like they had just like full synthesizer keyboards there and like full, you know, full crap going. And you're like, wow. Like, so you guys really went for the, we're going to play this electronic music live. Um, and it was interesting seeing them also without their, um, helmets, even though, I mean, you know, what do you, what do you, I mean, what do you see in the club? Like, and especially in this footage, it's not like you see the details of their faces and stuff. They're just not wearing the mask. You still can't really make out anything for the most part, but it was cool. It was good. It was nice to hear, hear a lot of those old school tracks and then playing a lot of different interesting tracks from that era. But, you know, I don't know. I've always been back and forth with Daft Punk. I've, I've loved a lot of their music. Um, I wouldn't say that they were the ones that got me into electronic music, but they were one of my early electronic music, like fascinations and everything. But I do, yeah, like their breakup to me was kind of just one out of the blue and kind of crazy just because they hadn't like released music in forever. So in my mind, they're already kind of broken up <laughs> or at least like on hiatus or something. And so to me, it seemed very weird to like officially break up because they had basically just been on hiatus. Like why not just be on hiatus and then do an interview and be like, yeah, we're not probably not going to make any Daft Punk music. We're just going to do our own stuff separately. It's like, why not do that? Um, instead of doing this whole trailer thing, but, but then if, when you look at it, I was reading this one article and it was talking about it, that they made like a ton of money, like on like their sales for all their albums and supposedly streaming went up by like a ton when they did the farewell, farewell stuff, which maybe it was because they captured another generation's attention and because it just became the news of the day at the time period, or maybe it just, you know, everybody was like, wow, fuck, I gotta go listen to Daft Punk again. It's been a while. Um, so that I guess in itself made it, makes it seem like a good strategy, but I, I really wonder if they knew that that was going to happen beforehand. It just seems weird to not make music for a while, then just end your group. And then also to me seems weird. I know it's like the 25th anniversary, but to be like, oh, hey, by the way, even though Daft Punk's broken up, you can still buy our album. We're going to re-release it on vinyl. And then here's a live show from way back when. And you're like, so are you guys still broken up, right? Okay. Well, I guess it's cool that you re-released the stuff. It just, it seems weird. I, it's like mixed signals slightly, but maybe I'm just reading into it too much. But <clears throat> love the show. It's great. It makes me want to get the 1997 Alive that they released, the other show that they released from that um, tour <clears throat> and and watch that because that's probably, I think, the only one I haven't watched. Um, and then, like, another crazy uh, music experience that happened uh, recently was uh, the Donda 2 album premiere. Uh, and like I was saying earlier in the podcast, you know, big Kanye West fan, you know, or have always been, you know, in recent years, it's, I don't defend them. It's become impossible uh, and not even worth it to defend them. Like I can say, and then like even recently with like all the stuff that's happening with like Kim and stuff, it's just like, Jesus, bro. And that's like kind of the crazy dynamic with this album. Uh, and we'll see what he does with it. Cause it, at least how he presented it live this time, it is like a very like, I don't know, to me, like that song security is a 
good song and it's a bop but when you start like thinking about the fact that this song is like a, almost like a stalker's anthem that's kind of a weird that's kind of weird right but i wonder if what he's doing in the album is he's being very literal and like working through his grief the grief that he's having recently right now with his relationships ending and the problems that he's having with his kids and you know all that stuff or not even problems with he's having with his kids but problems seeing his kids and the whole you know all the drama that happens when you get divorced uh so we'll see i guess when the album comes out i guess because i don't know if i'm gonna spend which is i don't know if i'm gonna spend two hundred dollars on a mp3 player to listen to donda too uh i felt that the first donda was a little bit too self-indulgent and watching this donda 2 live performance uh even though there was a lot of visually striking elements of it that were gorgeous uh it did kind of fall apart towards the end with some of the mic problems they should have just kind of kept it and people were just singing along to the songs and looking like they're performing and not really performing instead of actually trying to perform some of the songs uh but whatever, you know, but it, it did have a lot of visually striking moments, but then it also had like towards the middle before it did a major like color change when they were all walking around the house. Uh, I just, I kind of started to get tired of the visuals at that point. I was like, okay, we've seen the same old, same old. And then they, you know, the clips thing happened and he did interesting stuff with it, but it's it again it kind of started to give me the same vibe that donda originally gave me and what certified lover boy gave me and kind of what don fm gave me which is just like a little bit too much self-indulgence in a specific like sound and not even even in a specific sound but too much self-indulgence in general with like the concept of the album like there could be some trimming of the fat that's happening and it surprised me that i had this experience with the donda 2 live performance because it's only like an hour and 30 minutes it's like not even that long um so but it's felt kind of long so that's like the problem i think and that's how donda felt as an album so i'm hoping donda 2 doesn't feel like that because there was a couple tracks in there that reminded me of like yeezus 2 or i mean not yeezus 2 yeezus almost like this would be a yeezus 2 because it definitely feels like a more aggressive album even though there's still a lot of the uh you know like religious overtones and everything it feels more aggressive it feels angry it's understandable with i guess his mental state and probably what's gonna, what he's going to talk about and shit but you know I don't know. That's my only dilemma with this album is depending on where he goes with the concept of it. If it just is like a weird divorce dad stalker album, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, I don't know if I'll like it, honestly. But if he does some kind of like redemptive arc, like, oh, I learned that I can't be this crazy stalker dad person, like a divorce. And if that's kind of where he goes with it, that could be an interesting story to tell. So we'll see. But again, I don't think I'm going to buy a fucking stem player to do this. I looked it up <laughs> just to see what, what the fuck it was and see people talking about it. Some people were talking shit about it because the, the texture is almost like a skin texture. When you look at it, it kind of looks like a sex toy or like a controller to a sex toy or something. It definitely has that skin quality to it. And it's just weird that it's like a like a sequencer almost like a four channel sequencer kind of uh that you can loop it's like a looper also and you can but it's only like eight gigabyte like there's some weird things about it where i'm like kanye we're living in like the few like you want me to spend two hundred dollars when like my phone this phone that i have i could have spent i actually spent less money on it it's the moto g power um this phone's only like 250 dollars, and i think it comes with like 128 gigabytes in it most phones come with like 64 gigabytes and it's a phone. It has all this other crap going on. This is just a music player. So you couldn't have put like 500 gigabytes, a terabyte, something in there that makes it a little bit interesting for like, I guess, music collectors or something, especially for like 200 bucks. I don't know. It just seemed kind of weird. I mean, the only thing is like, oh, it's the only place you're going to be able to listen to Donda. But like part of me is just like, okay, well, you're just going to make me like pirate it or something or like listen to people uploading it on YouTube or something because it's like, I'm not going to pay the money to listen to, especially if a lot of people pay the money to listen to it. And they're like, ah, the album's not worth it. Almost kind of like what people think might be the case with that Wu-Tang album that they sold for like millions of dollars. That it's actually kind of like a shitty album. 
And so it's not a big deal that the community didn't get to participate. It just sucks because you really like an artist and they put up these like weird walls. It's an interesting concept because he supposedly made a lot of money on it, right? And to release music in this alternative form that isn't like the streaming services is an interesting idea. It is also interesting that there's some kind of tech in it. I wonder if it's the splitter tech. Now, if you don't know what the splitter tech is, basically what happened was, uh, and I don't know if you know what the company Deezer, but Deezer's like Spotify. It's basically a Spotify, but I think they're based out of France, but they global. You can get them anywhere. You can listen to them even in America, but it's basically a Spotify, like a streaming service for music. And they took their entire catalog and ran it through an AI and basically taught this computer to be able to pull apart songs. So they ran all this music through the computer and then the computer was able to listen to like just a audio, one single audio file of any song and pull the vocals out, pull all the different individual instruments out and pull them apart and then render them out as individual audio tracks. It seems like the stem player is doing something similar to that. So I wonder if there isn't some implementation of splitter or some similar technology because supposedly any song you put on this thing, it splits it out into four different stems of the song, which I'm guessing are going to be something like vocals, drums, bass, and lead guitar, whatever you want to call that last one. Um, but it, I don't know. I don't, you know, initially when I kind of heard about it, cause you can use it as a MIDI controller too. So I was like, okay, fuck around as a MIDI controller on Ableton when I'm making tracks and stuff. But I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It seems crazy. It seems kind of crazy. And I, again, I don't know if I want to play 200. I mean, last week it was effing Best Buy charging me $200 to get a graphics card. And now it's Kanye trying to charge me $200 to buy an album. You know, it's not that I, you know, like, honestly, like, okay, there could be a major argument to be made about like, okay, well, why wouldn't you charge? Why, why can't you charge like several hundreds, you know, of dollars for an album, just like you would a piece of art, right? Okay, sure. Uh, for a one of a kind thing, I can understand that. Or for multiples, there wasn't that many run, I can understand that. But like, ultimately, when it comes to music, I think like the upper range that I would ever play for like a like a deluxe edition thing would probably be like a 100 bucks. I don't think I would ever pay more than like a 100 bucks for any kind of music thing. Um, so if this was around a 100 bucks, or even like, I maybe even 150, but even then, and especially like, there's just little things about it that really kind of just make me like, wish it had a little bit more futuristic tech in it because it's kind of like low tech old tech new tech it's kind of like a lot of weird things fused together so so yeah that's my only problem is there's a lot of interesting stuff from this donda live show that i would love to listen to don't know if i'm gonna listen to it because i'm not gonna buy that goddamn player <laughs> you know what i mean like i'm just like why i'm not gonna i'm not gonna buy that player i don't see a reason to um it's just kind of ridiculous uh, and then, you know, a lot of people were talking about, of course, him bringing back out Marilyn Manson and DaBaby for the Donda 2 listening party, even though it was for a song from the first Donda album. And one that was also where he started having all the malfunctions, which is kind of ironic. But beyond that, uh, like he it's just they didn't sing neither of them were singing when they were up there and they were just like standing around doing whatever like the baby looked kind of like like he was just kind of like whatever out of it i guess or something well it also just seems like a weird thing like you're having a listening party you have all these people who are your acquaintances who are coming up and saying hi but you're also kind of like putting on a performance but it's like a super lax performance where we can like dap up and like see you later behind stage it's interesting it was a very weird it was a very interesting vibe uh, but you know, everybody's bringing back the controversy, the controversy with Marilyn Manson and all that stuff. And because of that, I started looking into the controversy and I didn't realize that, uh, you know, uh, Evan Rachel Wood was, um, releasing a documentary called Phoenix Rising about this whole situation, supposedly, which is crazy. Cause I heard about, and then like this website was even talking about like, you know, a lot of sexual abuse getting into like Nazi paraphernalia, like, oh, so he was doing like, you know, crazy, like white supremacy stuff, um, which is interesting. Uh, it's so there's a lot of dynamics coming out. And it just seems interesting that Kanye is associating himself with all these people. I understand his probably want maybe religiously or whatnot to give people a second chance. And I think people deserve that everything. 
But at the same time, like it also seems weird that you're surrounding yourself with people that have like active controversy at the moment. And also people like in the case of like DeBaby, who like he's also kind of like a very intense like like person like he's you know beat up people i think didn't he shoot somebody at a walmart or beat up people at a walmart or something he did some kind of crazy stuff and there's a couple times it's made sense like the people that were you know paparazzi that were kind of coming after him um to get pictures of his kid or something like that and i remember he kind of got a little pissy with that one out in the middle out i think it was out in front of a hotel so in like certain circumstances you can understand it from these guys uh you know it's kind of like the britney spears stuff um, and you've seen Kanye West go wild with it a lot, you know, a lot of the time as well. But I don't know. You know, it's interesting. It's weird. It's weird seeing Manson there because he seems kind of so out of place every single time. Like he's like, hey, man, what's up? You know, you're what's up? I'm your white friend. Bing, bang, boom. This hippity hop is great, ain't it? And you're like, this is weird. <laughs> This is very weird dog like but maybe he's a big hip-hop fan i don't know maybe he's like a massive hip-hop fan and i'm the asshole it might that might be the case um because i've i've been a fan of marilyn manson you know i was a fan of marilyn manson i was a fan of or i i you know i am a fan of marilyn manson i am a fan of nine inch nails that whole entire like golf stuff all that stuff industrial stuff all about it but uh you know I don't know. You get it's, shit's just it's just crazy, and the fact that she's also coming out with a documentary, which is going to go into it. So I wonder what that's going to entail. If it's going to be a lot of like, you know, reenactments. Obviously, he's probably not going to be in it. Um, is it going to be like a Pam and Tommy thing? That kind of caught me for a loop when that first came out because I was like, oh, okay, so wait a minute, is this like a retelling or is this like a biopic story of it? And you're like, oh, it's kind of like a biopic. Um, but. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting who he keeps surrounding himself with. It's interesting that all this stuff's kind of coming to a head. I guess we'll see what happens. I don't know if Marilyn Manson's releasing any music. Or if he has any plans or doing any concert stuff. I have no idea. I haven't really kept up with it. I couldn't imagine so. But who knows? He might be, you know? So, it's a very interesting thing. Um, yeah, and, you know... Uh, it's interesting how kind of information gets decimated around places, I got to say, uh, and how stuff kind of gets out there. Uh, one of the things that's kind of been surprising me recently when it comes to that is like, again, I'm not a, I'm not the biggest. I've always been ancillary around them. I played a little bit of Bloodborne, not, not the biggest fan of from soft games, but I played a little bit of Bun Bloodborne. It's maybe it's not that I'm not the biggest fan. I haven't played enough of them. I've only played a little bit of Bloodborne. Haven't played any of the Souls games. And then, like, I, you know, and I've been watching a lot of streamers recently. And you have people, you know, like Doc started talking about, like, you know, streaming Elden Ring. And then, you know, a lot of people start like, oh, Elden Ring, Elden Ring. And a lot of people have been talking about it. And I'm like, I thought from software games are kind of like a little bit more under the radar than this. Um, but I guess it's great that they're finally getting their, like, you know, their come up, or not come up, and they're finally getting their, like, time in the sun, you know, everybody's, like, paying attention to the game, um, and just, it, but I, I just thought all the hype around it was, like, kind of surprising, like, out of the blue, like, I wasn't expecting it, and I wonder if it's not in some ways going to slightly backfire on that game, because the game is so effing hard, uh, or I don't know if it is or not, but, you know, from software games tend to be hard. Um, I've heard this game streamlines it a lot, they kind of placed the save yes you know the save zones or whatever you use the i don't know if it's a campfire in this game like it is in previous games or whatever but they supposedly place those closer to bosses and stuff so you don't have to do as much backtracking um which is supposedly made it a little bit more livable or a little bit more like you know user-friendly as a game but i wonder if they're because i wonder what happened with uh, sifu uh if that kind of has petered out because i saw a lot of people talking about it when it first came out and it looked like a really dope game but then even the developers acknowledged it, like well we know our game's effing hard we're sorry. Like, you have to get through the whole entire game. This is just how the game is. And everybody glomming onto it and wanting to play it, like, sometimes, like, that's why I think certain games like Among Us kind of capture a lot of people is because they are very just, like, simple and straight to the point. And they're hard in a certain way, but not, like, almost not, like, technically hard. So you don't have to be, like, proficient at the video game to get past it. You just have to be, like, clever. Uh, and that's a hard thing to design into a lot of video games. And so I think a lot of video games run into the problem of, like, skill ceiling. Um, like, another one of my favorite video games of recent time periods um, was uh, Splitgate. And that's super fun to play, but it's also 
kind of hard to play in unless you once you get everything down once you get like the triple portaling and stuff which i didn't even completely get down when i played it <clears throat> um but you get the triple portaling down and but you just kind of hit a level with the uh gameplay <clears throat> excuse me yeah it's just it's just the, the allergies are killing me today it's not a fun day for me here okay um but yeah, I remember that it just it just had such a high skill ceiling that, you know, if you got put into a match with anybody that had like any kind of crazy confidence, they'd be like running circles around you even more so than in other video games. That's why I've always thought that games like Super Smash Bros kind of did it because they kind of set up like a simple like like this is how all of our moves work and they're directional. And so you just have to kind of get good at the timing and know when to do certain things. And then that's all just kind of like playing and learning. Um, and it's, it just kind of evens the playing field. Plus they also do have the items, which kind of, in my opinion, level of playing, you know, level of playing field and whatnot. So, you know, but it's just interesting. We'll see what happens with Elder Ring. I'm debating about playing it. I don't know. I go back and forth. I kind of like the visual style, but I like that's the thing about it. Every single time I've seen trailers and I've watched like gameplay of it, parts of the visual style really like capture me. And I'm like, oh, that looks really cool. And then other parts of it, I'm like, wow, I'm surprised that this is so like typical fantasy looking kind of. Um, I, even though I know it's George R.R. R. Martin stuff. But just coming from from software, because like Bloodborne was like in a very interesting look environment, um, you know, very interesting kind of like the gothic setting and then also where it kind of went. Um, and maybe Elden Ring kind of goes more places, especially later in the game. And maybe we've only seen like the first little bit of it. And so that's why it kind of looks as samey as it does. But just from a lot of the footage I've been seeing, I don't know how to feel about how it looks. And when I'm like that with the video game, I don't know if I should play it or not i'm always i always go back and forth because i'm like if a video game's visual style isn't striking me i'm like do i even want to spend time in that world but then sometimes i'm like some it's sometimes the game game mechanics and the overall like how the game is built completely trump that like in my opinion i run into that a lot with like uh nintendo games like i'm not a big zelda fan i don't like a lot of how the world looks the lore the everything it's not my favorite that's why i like a lot of the weird zeldas like majora's mask twilight princess ones i can understand fans of the series don't necessarily like the most but i always like the weirder ones um but the mechanics of some of those games really kind of just like take you in and how they feel and so that kind of makes up for it a lot of the time so you can kind of get past a visual uh element when that game just feels so goddamn good um and like speaking of feeling good well i guess it's, it's always felt good but speaking of looking good um i've been playing the resident evil 4 hd texture pack that just released that i guess the creators of it had been working on for like seven years i think um it's they basically went through and completely you know redid every single texture they even went as far as one of the developers of it he is i guess from spain um and you know resident evil 4 takes place in some ambiguous spanish island off the coast of wherever who knows and you know he the development team of the original resident evil 4 supposedly went to spain and took pictures of spe specific castles or maybe a specific castle i don't know but it's a, a castle in spain they took pictures of like the brickwork and like stuff like that and used it to make actual textures well one of the developers of this texture pack lives in spain went to the exact same castles got like hd 4k 8k whatever you know the highest quality you could possibly get pictures of this castle they went through all of the textures remade everything it's crazy it's it's kind of mind-boggling how much better the game could look uh because i was already playing the ultimate hd edition that came out on steam and it was fine it looked good ran good whatever but like just the crispness that some of these textures really impart like one of the things i first started noticing when i was playing this hd project the texture pack is the eyes of the zombies especially the eyes of any of the zombies that had the plogus like the crazy plogus uh parasite like gr massively growing inside them the ones that the heads would pop uh you know those guys usually always had red eyes and like you could see it in a lot of the different versions of the game but man now that the textures are like hd you could see it feels like you can get you got so much more 
information. Like they just look so much creepier and like in your face. The only thing, the only creature so far that's kind of looked stupid has been the wolves. The wolves kind of look stupid. Um, but everything else has like been creepier. Man, all the different castle zombies have been ridiculously creepy. Just all of the little details, how the guns look in the menu. Everything has just been, it's just been kind of enhanced more than I thought. I, I, cause I've, you know, downloaded a lot of these HD tech, HD texture packs when it comes to like Skyrim and, you know, Fallout 4 and Fallout 3, New Vegas, you know, a lot of the Bethesda games, modded a lot of those games with HD texture packs, played other video games with their own HD texture packs. And some of the times you're like, oh, okay, I can see that this made a pretty decently drastic difference when it came to clarity. And other times, it doesn't feel like as big of a difference. It's like, well, you got a, you already had a good baseline here, or it's not changing the baseline as much. But man, this HD project is just a whole nother effing level. It's it's pretty wild. Like I was surprised. I didn't expect to look at this game and be like, wow, some of these textures are really like popping off the screen. It makes it scarier again, almost, which is kind of funny because like I was playing through the game and I was like, oh, I'm getting stressed. I've played Resident Evil 4 like a billion times. I know where everything is. I know how it goes, but I was getting stressed in some of the battles and it just, it kind of engrossed me. Like it really kind of transfixed me a lot more when I was playing it. So if you haven't uh, played Resident Evil 4 in a while and maybe before Resident Evil, because I know Capcom's going to do their HD remake, which I am above the moon excited for because if they completely reworked that like they did Resident Evil 2 and 3, oh man, it'd be great. You know, hopefully that ends up coming to fruition or being a really good like complete remake but in the meantime you can play the resident evil 4 that you remember know and love but with crazy hd graphics and you totally should it's re4hd.com like you got to go there and do it it's it's actually not even that hard like you have to do a little bit of like patching drying dragging files around and stuff on exes it might seem complicated maybe if you're not a computer person, but it's super simple stuff, super easy, not that hard, not that complicated to do. And like I said, gorgeous. Like it just kind of blew my mind. I was not expecting that to be that gorgeous and expecting or expecting, uh, uh Jesus, I was going to do a segue. I was really, I was, try I was trying really hard to do a segue, but today on top of, I guess, my allergies and whatever else, I got brain fog. Hey, everybody, I got COVID. No, I'm just kidding. I don't have COVID. Um, but yeah, I was going to do a segue there. It didn't happen. We're talking. This is whatever. Fuck it. Slept on. This is slept on for episode four or whatever. This week, I slept on. Well, not I didn't sleep on it this week. I've been playing it for a while now, but I did sleep on it for what it originally came out. I slept on Fallout 76. Now, originally when Fallout 76 came out, or even going back before Fallout 76 coming out, I remember being pretty psyched for this game. Um, I thought it was a very easy concept. You know, let's play co-op. You know, everybody wants a co-op Skyrim, co-op Fallout, let's go. You know, put us in a Bethesda open world co-op, right? And then the game comes out or gets closer to coming out and then all the crazy fiasco around it, all the drama behind the fake tote bag thing that was like the ultimate edition and, you know, how bad the servers were. Now, I didn't play the game probably for the first year or two that it was out. I started playing the game at the beginning of COVID because it was on the Xbox Game Pass. Um, and that's why I started playing the game. So I skipped out on a lot of the bad content and problems that people had with the game initially and a lot of that stuff. So I didn't encounter a lot of those problems, the PVP stuff, like all that. So I heard about it and I was like, Jesus Christ, you took what I thought would have been just a very simple con concept, which is let's make another Fallout game, but with multiplayer. Boom. But then they kind of tried to go more multiplayer with it, more than I think is probably necessary ultimately in the grand scheme of things. Uh, but ultimately kind of now, so when I came back, not even came back when I came to the game the first time, right? It was on game pass. I decided what the hell let's download and play it, play a new fallout game. Right. I get into it and I'm like, I'm like, okay, this is interesting. This is an interesting, the way they have the setup, the way that you level up the whole card system. I liked that. Um, I had also come on after they had already done the, I think it was the Wastelanders update where they added all the NPCs to the game. Cause when I originally heard about the game, I'm like, okay, so we're finding nothing in the game. Right. 
Um, but that also, my opinion of that even changed um, as I looked up the content that they added and figured out like what was what and everything. Um, but playing through the game, man, I kind of was really instantly taken by the world, like instantly taken by the world. And then I think coming down from the Vault 76, uh, I saw Mothman accidentally just chilling there that blew my mind that was a mate that was correct because th that was before i even knew that there was cryptids in the game and the whole entire like cryptid underbelly of it all which is such a brilliant thing and a thing that they need to do in pretty much every single fallout after this is have a major cryptid of the area wherever they do fallout featured because it's hilarious that in some ways, some of those cryptids are like, oh, it's experiments that came from the nukes falling or what you can blame it on a lot of stuff in the Fallout universe, right? So that was like the first thing that kind of jumped out at me is like the world kind of captured me, the, you know, West Virginia, Virginia area, because I when I looked it up, it's both, I think it's between both of them, I think I th I'm not sure. But um, it's very interesting, the massive hills, also kind of how massive the fucking map is. I think it's the biggest map that they've ever built. And it is massive. Like when you're walking from even just like small points from one point to the other, but even across it, it's kind of crazy just how they have the mountains and the canyons. Like you're like, oh, I can go all the way over there. And then you go all the way over there and you're like, oh, that I can still go all the way over there some more. Like there's some more crap to go over. Usually you're like, oh, I go over to that far mountain at the top of the far mountain. That's the invisible wall. And this is the, this is the bowl that I live in. That's kind of what Skyrim kind of felt like a little bit. Um, but man, this game did not feel like that. This game felt like way expansive. And then like, uh, as I went through it, I kind of encountered a lot of the audio log uh, material that I guess was a part of the original game that they had just there, you know, and a lot of the robot companions and stuff. And I actually liked a lot of it. I liked a lot of it. I thought a lot of it was cool. It was had the fallout tone in it you know even though there was not even humans it made sense when a lot of people were complaining about there not being enough npcs i was like ah oh, but see there's so many of these robot npcs and quests and stuff in the game already that are great like i don't understand the problem with it and then you know you start getting into the wastelander content you start getting into the characters that you can interact with and the brotherhood of steel and all that stuff and that stuff's good um but I didn't have a problem with a lot of the robot stuff and a lot of the stuff that was kind of there previously so that that was kind of a thing that i thought was uh was uh, interesting. Oh, sorry. Just like unclogging everything. Um, but uh, that was the thing that I thought was like interesting that kind of caught me with the game. I liked how I love the White Springs area. I started playing that the summer. Well, it was, two, you know, 2021. And when I hit the White Springs area, that was when uh, Call Me If You Get Lost, how the creators album came out. And that album felt like a, a yacht club album like an album that you would play as a soundtrack to going to a yacht club or some kind of rich person's club and then i stumble upon white springs in fallout 76 and it was just like this perfect marriage and the whole storyline behind white springs and so that was the thing that started kind of surprising me about 76 is all these interesting areas that they had put in the map and all this stuff and i was like wow so this game is a lot more than just a Co like a co-op fallout game like it's very in-depth it's very interesting and then you know finally experiencing like somebody dropping a nuke like that was crazy and like the whole the fauna changing and the crazy monsters spawning you know and like i had my base in white springs for a while and somebody dropped a nuke on white springs and seeing that whole entire area change and just that whole mechanic um and all of the kind of um ways that they've kind of updated everything streamlined everything i hope they bring that to whatever the next fallout game is though i did not like and i understand in some ways why they do this but i did not like a lot of the restrictions for the uh stashes the restrictions on your building the restrictions on it was a lot of the stuff that i didn't like about fallout 4 that they kind of just brought into the next game and on a logistics level when it comes to servers i can kind of understand you having to cap some of that shit because you can't just have people building forever or they crash the server but it, but then on the other end of it it just it feels like another like pointless limitation that just kind of like stops creativity and really kind of like puts that game down when in all actuality that game actually became a pretty decent game um the end game as a multiplayer game is very lacking so that's one part that i will kind of agree with everybody you kind of get to a point in that game where it's like what do you really do besides some of the dailies and it would be helpful if 
you could rerun the quest content. Like, so if you got to a point later in the game, instead of having to start a new character, you could just rerun the quests with your level, you know, 300, whatever character. Um, that would be interesting. And I haven't had a lot of griefers or anything, like a lot of problems with the multiplayer from characters. So that's good. Um, because, you know, I heard a lot of horror stories about like people blowing up people's bases and, you know, uh, doing all kinds of fucked up shit to people's shit. So I heard, I heard about a lot of that stuff. I heard about a lot of the negative with Fallout 76, but it really kind of changed my mind on it. And I love a lot of the storyline. And I kind of like that out of all the Fallout games, you're not like the savior of the world. You know, you're not saving the planet. You're not saving Appalachia. You're just kind of there finding things and helping different groups out. And it's kind of like the, and just the amount of content, like the fact that there's like, what, like five factions i think in that game and they all have like a lot of quests like that you do for each faction a lot of interesting stuff that happens it takes you all over the map in even by places that i went by and then there was more crap there that's how kind of in depth the world is i was very surprised by just like how much there is everywhere and in the you know it being a multiplayer and having that kind of uh um um they really streamlined that uh like create like the the scrapping like mechanic in this game that f made it feel like oh, okay so me picking up all this junk really makes sense in this game i'm really trying to build stuff from my base and trying to get ammunition and trying to keep my character going and that was kind of an interesting concept i just wish that some of the restrictions like how much caps you can buy you know get from a vendor a day and some of that stuff wasn't in the game um i understand that you can kind of like go against that uh, by selling your own stuff to other people. But I, I very initially was like, oh, I'm just going to play this game as a single player game. And I bought Fallout first and have mostly been playing 76 as a single player game. Every once in a while, I'll go into multiplayer uh, servers and stuff just to have fun and like do other stuff and trade with people and whatnot. But for the most part, I play a lot of the quest content and a lot of the content that I want to be in the cell and have it load the first time for me, uh, you know, on private server. So... You know, I've had a kind of different experience than I know a lot of other people have had when they've been playing that game, but I've loved it. It's it surprised me, you know. It built on a good foundation that was Fallout 4. Um, and at the time, I remember when Fallout 4 came out, I really, well, I liked the game. I liked parts about the game, but I it kind of, in other ways, it kind of let me down. But I think that was just me, like, the. I think it was just the performance issues of the game initially releasing, I think it was just me not taking in exactly what the fuck that they were doing with Fallout 4. Because when I've played it, like I played it like a year ago or something like that, and it blew my mind. Like when you walk into Boston and the fact that there aren't any loading screens until you get to like Good Neighbor or whatever, like that's a mind boggling concept. Cause I remember that being a very distinct thing that I kind of like slightly didn't like about Fallout 3 was that you had to go, you couldn't just walk through DC. You had to walk all oh, through this door and it loaded another area. And, you know, and that was the, you know, limitation at the time. But the fact that they actually effing did it, they built a whole city and you could walk through the whole goddamn city and fly to the top of the fucking tallest building or whatever. Like it's kind of insane how that game is built. And then, but then that's why it kind of makes it very like a very disparate experience because you half the time don't like you're like it's not like fallout 3 or new vegas where you're like oh i have all these specific spots that i can go to that are these different encampments or different places it kind of centralizes everything in boston um which kind of changes how the map flows a little bit um but and so they took everything that was good from fallout 4 put it in 76 uh but it still has a lot of the shortcomings of a lot of those bethesda games and you know, the multiplayer shortcomings and ultimately just it not being a thing of like, let's go have co-op with your friend and play quests in a Bethesda game. Like that should have been all it should have been. But then it kind of, you know, they kind of went with it in another direction and, you know, but I, I would say if you haven't played Fallout 76 and you can play it, especially if you have like the game pass or play it for free, you should play it. It's totally worth it. I was surprised by it as a Fallout fan. Um, it really like the lore and everything is really good playing it for a lot of the story and the quest content, you know, the multiplayer stuff is fine. It's not like the best, I wouldn't say play it for a multiplayer game. There's a lot of other multiplayer games that you play if you want that multiplayer experience, but this is a really good fallout game. It's, I was surprised me it's up there, even just setting wise, it's up there. So yeah. So, but anyways, this, um, right here is the fourth episode of uh 
Bottom Fidelity podcast. I hope you liked it. I'll play us out on give you another little uh, hint or not hint preview of my track that's coming out tomorrow or it's coming out on the 25th of February. I should probably stop saying specific dates because who knows when the hell you it's coming out on February 25th, 2022, right? That's when it's coming out. So if it's past that time, it's already out. You should go check it out. The song is called Moot, M-O-O-T. Um, yeah, it's my new single. It's a groovy track. Uh, if you have any questions, queries, anything, uh, it's noclean_music at gmail.com. Um, like I said, I'm going to be trying to get onto this monthly schedule with my tracks. We're going to be trying to make everything kind of move uh, a little bit more. I'm going to be experimenting with a lot of interesting stuff, as I've already kind of explained with my ambient tracks that are on singles. But there's going to be more stuff. There's going to be a lot of interesting stuff. So I hope... Yeah, I hope you like this podcast. I hope you come back for more. I hope that, you know, I don't know. Everybody, I hope everybody, I hope everybody finds a $20 bill on the ground. I'm just kidding. That's weird. It's a weird, whatever. It's whatever. <laughs> See, fucking get out of here. See you later. Bye. I actually didn't get as hot in here. <laughs> okay.